So um, I wanted to um, dive straight into uh, the passage that we're going to look at, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to get stuck in. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Luke 14, verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25. If not, it is going to be up on the screen. We're completing the final week of our Radically Normal series, Dive In and Read. Here we go. Now great crowds were traveling with him, this being Jesus. So he turned to them and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Some of you are probably gulping or squeaming in your seats going, I chose the wrong Sunday to come to church. No, no, you chose the right one. You definitely did. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he'll send, send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. Uh, in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, salt is good, but if salt loses its taste, how will it be made salty again? It isn't fit for the soil or the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears today in harvest Listen to these words. Lord Jesus, I ask that as we dive into this, please give us ears to listen. Please open up our hearts and our eyes. Please take away any distraction. Please take away any area of sin in our life or self-pride or arrogance or anything that would stop us from hearing what you have to say to us this morning. I ask that we would listen clearly for your voice to us. Amen. So we're closing out the series on Radically Normal. We've been on a great journey, end of last year, looking at what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be clothed in power, and then the beginning of this year, to go, how do we practically live that out? How do we grow in the gifts of the Spirit? How do we see His power manifest amongst us at church and beyond the walls of church, even more importantly? And I've been listening to Acts this week in the car. I know I put it on social media, but if any of you are looking for a great thing to do in the car, podcasts are great. There's also an app called Bible.is, it's a way that you can download and listen to it in the car. And I reckon on, on an average week or an average four days, most people could probably listen to a book a day, uh, or a book to, not a book a day, sorry, um, a book a week, pretty easily on your just normal driving, a great way to get God's word into your heart. But I've been listening to this, and I've been absolutely gripped listening through Acts, that when the gospel goes out, there is power that goes with it. You just read through and that's, that's just what happens. When God's kingdom comes and when we're preaching the gospel, his power comes and it's necessary for that to happen. The power doesn't come without the gospel. The gospel doesn't come without the power. So if we're seeking for God's power, but we don't care about his gospel impact in the, uh, on the earth, then you're not gonna see the power. If you care about his gospel, you really care, but you're not after the power that comes with it because you think you can do it in your own strength, the gospel's not gonna go out. Those two go hand in hand, they're absolutely essential. And, uh, and, and that's why we are so excited about what God has called us to in this. And we wanna be living it out as a church. We wanna experience the Holy Spirit's work in our services and even more so beyond these four walls. 
That's where we want to see his kingdom breaking out in the city and beyond. And so we obviously sent out those spiritual gift assessments. Please look at those. Ask questions. Ask a spouse. Ask a friend and say, hey, where do you think that God's using me in the past? Where's he used me in the past? Where do you think you see my sort of gifting? I want to grow because I want to exercise these gifts to see God's kingdom come. The reason why I wanted to finish with this passage, the series, is because it's great for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. It's amazing for us to be clothed in power. But we'll never actually see that power evident in our life and evident through us unless we understand three important principles that we're going to look at today. The first one is the principle of counting the cost. The next one is embracing the cross. And the third one is loving the lost. If we don't get those three principles of the Christian faith, counting the cost, embracing the cross, and loving the lost, we will never see God's power work through us. We won't. And I want it to happen for every person. I want it to happen for each of us. It will happen if we get these. So I hope your seatbelts are fastened. We are in for a bit of a ride. First point, count the cost. A few days ago, we found a baby tortoise in our garden, tiny baby tortoise. It was amazing, very cute. I must be honest that I actually dislike tortoises because I find them arrogant, I find them rude, I find them destructive, but this baby was very cute. So we, uh, we just built, what, what are we gonna do with this baby tortoise? I built with some bricks, a little bit uh, of um, a, a house. We sort of left it open and we thought it was high enough and uh, Layla was so excited because the next week, Wednesday, this Wednesday was show and tell at preschool. What an opportunity, I'm gonna take a real living tortoise with me. Everyone's going to take lame toys, but I'm going to take the, so she was super excited. And obviously, on Tuesday afternoon when I get home from work, I just decide to go and see if this tortoise is okay and feed it, and it's gone. And we hope it escaped rather than got taken out by an eagle or those sorts of things, but anyway, it had escaped. So now we have to tell Layla, just like Layla, and obviously there's tears, and I mean, she was absolutely devastated. So... I, I put her on my shoulder and she's just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and we walk around the garden praying and just saying like, well, I'm praying. <laughs> she's just sobbing. And I'm just going, Lord Jesus, please, can you help us to find this tortoise? Please, please, Lord, please. Um, and uh, please help us to get it. Anyway, so the tortoise didn't come back. My prayers weren't answered. So we... Uh, then get, it's okay Layla, what are we going to do for show and tells? We're going to get different toys to represent different pets that we have or that we've had. So we get a little toy rabbit, represents that, and we, so we build this little box and off she goes, and actually it was quite a good day. She took like six different toys and it was like the dogs from next door and everything else. But, we get home on the Wednesday and the Lord has answered our prayer because our gardener finds not only one, but three baby tortoises <laughs> to replace the one that was lost. So it actually turned out to be great. Now we've built them a serious wall. They're never going to get out of that thing. And uh, there's no way an eagle's going to get in there either. She was absolutely devastated. It was just a mind-blowing uh, answer um, to God, I mean, answer from God, where she's devastated and just this joy when she finds not one, but three. But as parents, and those of you who've had kids and have had pets would know, there's a very real cost in deciding to have a pet for your kids. Because the likelihood is, is in your child's lifetime, the pet is going to die or run away or whatever else could happen to a pet. But you have this element where you have a pet and it brings so much joy and so much life to children. But you know on the flip side that there's a real cost that it could bring real sadness and real devastation because they just love them and they absolutely adore pets. And I experienced that growing up as well, the joy and the sadness. So there's a cost 
to our decisions, even in something small like that, as a pet for our kids. And there's actually a cost in every single decision we make. There's a trade-off. Every single decision we make, there is a cost. If I purchase this, with that cost, it means I won't be able to purchase something else. I don't know with uh, young kids here, you might have known when, when mom and dad are like, okay, we're going on holiday or whatever else, you can have this amount of money. Just this huge mind-wracking difficulty for kids to go, oh my goodness, but if I buy this, then I can't do this. If I do this, then I can't do this. Because there's a cost to our decisions. If we save for this holiday, we won't be able to do that with the resources. If I build a friendship with this person and invest time into this, it means with that time, I won't be able to invest it in something else. If we don't count the cost, massive problems happen. There'll always be a cost, we just need wisdom in making the right call. The Titanic disaster, massive cost from decisions made to not invest in certain areas of the boat because it was seen to be indestructible. Huge cost because of certain decisions made. Captain Scott, who lost the race to one of the poles, was because he didn't feel that he needed dogs, he was gonna go with horses. He sort of thought he would do different routes to other people. In the end, he gets there with half his men dead, and uh, he, he gets there realizing that he's actually been beaten by people who planned more effectively, by people who counted the cost. They made it to the poles before him. There's many military failures over the years. There's houses around Harare with massive walls. We've seen these everywhere. Build the big wall, maybe a sliding gate, maybe not, and you look inside and either there's a foundation that's been there for 10 years or maybe there's walls, possibly there's a roof, but there's no paint, there's no windows. They just sit there, why? Because people fail to count the cost of their decisions. Broken marriages, bankrupt businesses, the list could go on, but we need to be people who count the cost in all of our decisions, but even more so when it comes to area most important, when it comes to our faith. And Jesus speaks into this in Luke 14. So as we're, as we're reading, we can just look at a few there, and I, I missed out the ones that didn't apply. But he's obviously talking to them, he says, if anyone comes after me and doesn't hate, we're gonna talk about that a bit because that doesn't sound Jesus-like, his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Goes on a bit further and he talks about this tower building, and at the same time he talks about this military operation. What's he getting at? He's getting at the fact that there's a cost and we need to weigh it up. The decision to become a Christ follower should not be taken lightly or on a whim. It should be taking no, taken knowing what will involve. Maybe some of you have been Christ followers here many years or you've just been church attenders. It's possible to come to a church for 10 years every Sunday and never know Christ. It's possible. But maybe if you were, came to faith as a child or maybe in recent years, maybe you never really counted the cost and now you're running into problems or issues because your expectation of what the Christian life looked like is different today. I hope this will help you. What could the, cross, the cost of Christ following mean? Well, it may include family and friend disagreements. Jesus talking about that from family who don't know Christ or family who aren't really that passionate about him. Following Jesus is about having a heart to obey him completely, regardless of the cost. And that may cause issues in family, may cause issues in friendships, both those who know Jesus and those who know Jesus, well, those who know Jesus but aren't really that passionate and those who don't, there's gonna be a cost. It's about our love for him and his cause being so much greater than any earthly love or relationship. 
and those pale in comparison. And that's what he's saying here. He doesn't mean actually hate. Of course he doesn't. He's using the terminology to just say, where is your love for me on the scale of earthly relationships? Because it needs to be so far greater than any earthly relationship that actually earthly relationships pale in comparison to our love for Jesus Christ. That's a cost, is what he's calling us to. Elsewhere in the Bible it says, you'll have trouble if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Don't fear man who can destroy the body. Fear me, spiritual God. Later on in this passage, he says, renounce all your possessions. He says it down right at the end. He says, in the same way, therefore, every one of you does not renounce all his possessions, cannot be by disciple. Those are tough things to count the cost of. Not necessarily all physical, not necessarily all gonna happen, but he's saying, would you get to that place for me? Would you really? Am I that valuable to you that you would choose me over all your possessions? That you choose me over all earthly relationships? Am I really that important to you? Some of you, again, as I said earlier, you might be feeling squeamish now going, I, I wanna run away. I didn't sign up for this. Can you really ask me that? You're in the exact right place this morning. Exact right place. Because he wants to do a work in your heart to see where are you really when it comes to him. Look at that part over there about building. Spoken a bit about it. But why does he speak into that? He says, well, if you don't count the cost and you don't finish what you complete, look at the result. Onlookers will begin to ridicule, saying this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. And then he says, how crazy is it if you decide to go to war and you're like, great, I'm gonna go to war, I'm gonna call out this king, I've got less people than him, and as you make the decision to call out war, you suddenly have to go groveling, going, oh my goodness, actually, <laughs> I know that I wanted to fight you, but listen, it's okay, I've actually changed my mind. You head back and, and actually, here's my, my white flag for peace. It's pathetic, it's silly, it's crazy. No one wants to act like that. So Jesus focuses in in this little bit on the result of not counting the cost. The result is huge. The result is, yes, we might be ridiculed, but even more than that, Jesus will be. Jesus will be ridiculed. The Christian faith will be made a mockery. And that's why it's essential that you and I count the cost because people's eternal destinies are at stake. This is not play, this is reality. The way in which we live our Christian faith, the way that we speak, the way that we live, when we put our hand up to say, I follow Christ, what we say and our actions have a massive dramatic effect on what other people do with Jesus Christ. That is why it is so important that we count the cost. My deepest sadness would be people looking at myself and looking at us as harvest going, Christ is obviously not real, or he's obviously not really that valuable because I just don't see a matchup between him and the Bible and those people's lives who call themselves Christ followers. I don't really see a matchup, so obviously he's not really that valuable. I would hate that to be the case with you and I. So that's the result of other people. The other result, if we don't count the cost, is his massive damage to us because we become disheartened, we become burnt out, we become angry with Jesus and the church because if we coming to the Christian faith with blinkers on, thinking that life will be like dancing in fields of candy floss, <laughs> and it won't be that, then we get angry. But Jesus never promised us that. 
So we need to count the cost of what he says the Christian faith is so that we're prepared. And then when we've counted the cost ahead of times, when tough things happen, when we struggle, it's okay because we know that's what to expect. We bought into it then. We didn't suddenly get hit with a brick wall as we go. It's essential that we know what we're in for. And maybe for some of you, it's time to reassess today. What did Jesus say? What did he promise? What are really his promises? What are things I've heard that aren't actually biblical? But what did he promise? Am I up for that? Am I prepared? Have I counted the cost? Am I ready for what lies ahead? The Apostle Paul was able to say in 2 Corinthians 4, um, verse 16 to 18, he was able to say these light and momentary troubles that I'm facing, being whipped and beaten uh, three times, you know, just up to death, being jailed, people hating me, these things are light and momentary. He was able to say that because he had counted the cost in relation to the eternal glory that was to come. So Paul knew, he had counted the cost. So he could say these things are light and momentary, they don't really mean that much to me, they obviously weren't nice. He could say that because he had sat there, he had analyzed, he had counted the cost, he knew what was ahead, he knew what he might face, then he lived all out for Jesus on the back of it. But he had counted the cost, that's why he had such an impact for Jesus. If you wanna have an impact for Jesus, you need to do that ahead of time. So count the cost, first one. Second thing that we need to do is embrace the cross. Once we count the cost, we embrace the cross. Jesus says there, one little passage, he talks about mom and dad and wife and kids and, and that sort of area. Then verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, he's obviously not talking about physically carrying a cross everywhere we go, but he's, the imagery is clear. He carried his cross for you and I, paid a great price for you and I, it led to his death. He died to self so that others would have life. So he's saying very clearly, are you embracing the life that I lived? Because if you aren't prepared to do that, then you can't be my disciple because that's what being a disciple of Christ is about. It's about dying to self. But what happens when we embrace the cross? Four amazing things happen in our lives when we embrace the cross and we look at it each day. The first thing is we understand that we desperately need the cross and we need God's forgiveness. I've got a quick little um, illustration. This is how so often we live. So this is what we do. So this is sort of a scale of different people. And I would say usually, most of us, we put ourselves about here. Now I did this this morning. Actually, it was a great workout. So we usually place ourselves, when we think about sin and where we stand and whether we even need forgiveness, that's why we need, sometimes we struggle to embrace the cross because we don't really get that we need it. Okay, so some of us, we, we place ourselves here and we always look and we go, that person over there has more sin in their lives than me and so I'm okay because I notice that I'm not as nasty to my husband or wife. I notice that I don't really cheat at work or try and steal any fun. So there's definitely someone worse than me. And there's someone also a lot worse than me. Definitely someone much worse. I mean, you know, when I look at myself, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't, you know, done any big bank robberies. So there's people a lot worse than me. So, so I'm actually okay. And uh, we, 
we do know there's people who are better than us when it comes to the sin scale. We know they're a little bit better, but we try not to look at them too much because it's much easier to look at the people who are worse than us than the people who are better. And these people don't have a lot of sin at all in their lives. They still do, but they don't have a lot of sin. And we, so we sort of look at these people. It's a lot better to look at people worse. So and those kind of people, we know they're there, you know, the, the Billy Grahams and the like, but there's not many of them. So we don't need to compare ourselves with them. We don't need to try and become more like Christ. But this is the thing. We look at it on this scale, and we go, so, eesh, that one's quite squonk, eh? So we go, that's because of how bad he is. <laughs> so much sin, he can't even stand up straight. Um, so we look at it and we go, you know, so I do need Jesus and I do need the cross, but I don't, I don't desperately need it because I'm kind of average. We usually put ourselves at about 50% if we're humble, about 45% on the badness scale. So we, we, we're kind of not, not above 50% badness. We're, so we look at it and we go, we, we do kind of need Jesus, but we don't really. What we forget is that Jesus looks down from here and what he sees, he doesn't see height. He doesn't see difference of sin. He looks down and he just sees the same. To him, it's irrelevant. The cost on earth is different, but to him, it's irrelevant. This person, sin. 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 They look the same to me, sin. You see, we compare ourselves to other people. We forget the fact that when someone is as holy as King Jesus, a lie over here, his scale is so high that a lie over here is the same as murder. We need him just as much. But we compare it to our earthly scale going, oh, well, you know, murder a lot. I, I definitely don't, don't need him quite as much. The problem with that is the cross loses its power in our lives because we start to compare on an earthly scale rather than a Christ-centered scale. Christ is so holy that a lie is as vulgar to him as when we see murder around us. The earthly consequences versus murder and lying is different. But eternal consequences when compared to an absolutely perfect holy God is just the same. It is just the same. The problem is, is we reduce God's holiness. We reduce his holiness and what happens when we do that is we start to feel we don't need the cross as much as we do. We did communion today and I hope that as we think about the cross going forwards that we would realize that we need forgiveness desperately from Jesus regardless of where we think that we stand, that we need it desperately. Next thing that the cross gives us is freedom. Gives us forgiveness that we all need. Gives us freedom from the law and everyone is after freedom. Through the cross of Christ, we don't feel under the weight of trying to impress God or trying to impress other people or trying to do the right thing and pray at the same time and make sure that we're at church every Sunday at five to nine, although that's a very good thing. Um, we, <laughs> we, we, we're, not, we're not trying to do that. What we're actually doing is going, oh my goodness, Jesus, you died for me in my sin, in my mess, without me being able to reach your holiness. Now you've transformed my life. I get to live for you. And it's freeing, and it's releasing, and it's exciting. We're not under the bondage of the law and having to do something. We do it because we want to. We get freedom, and that is astounding. Maybe some of you here are going, if I just do this and I make sure that I'm at church at nine o'clock, and if I just open my Bible and I try and be a good person, then, then God might accept me. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not about doing, it's about it's been done. And on the back of that, we do. But it's because it's been done first. What else, two more do we get? Um, and then we're, we're coming into land. Next thing we get from the cross, what God calls us to, is absolute surrender. When he says there, 
whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's talking about surrender. He's talking about dying to ourselves. Absolute surrender. Completely, absolutely, without compromise. Without, yes, Jesus, but what about this? I was talking to uh, Rich and Joe. We had a birthday yesterday, and Joe was saying that uh, Liesl, uh, one of their daughters, had said, Mom, because uh, they, they obviously just have um, Izzy and, and adopting Izzy, and said, Mom, so if there was a little child on the side of the road, or if Jesus asked you to have another child, would you? She's like, no, I, I, I think we have enough kids now. She's like, but, but would you? If Jesus asked you, would you? And she's like, no, I just, I just don't think he'd ask me though. <laughs> but mom, would, would, if Jesus asked you, would you do it? She's like, well, mom, even if you wouldn't, if Jesus asked me, I would. <laughs> Faith like little children. But the, the, the amazing challenge to that is that's what surrender is. Surrender is no buts. Surrender is saying, Jesus, if you ask me to do it, I do it. And I worry about the other things later, but what you ask me to do is most important. That's what I do. That is what I do. Psalm 139, verse 24, David's talking. He says, show me, God, if there's anything unpleasant in me. Show me if there's anything within my heart that you aren't pleased with. That's what absolute surrender is. That's what absolute surrender and sacrifice is. It's to lay it down, it's to hold nothing back, it's to die to self, and it's to die to our flesh. We're great at compartmentalizing. Do you know what we do? We're brilliant at this. We're so good at compartmentalizing, and Satan loves it too. We go, 90% of my life, oof, Jesus is so happy with it, and this 10%, this anger problem I have, or this issue I have, or this relationship issue, I'm just gonna leave that aside in a little box, and I'm just gonna do the 90%. And that side, it's just me. So I'm not really gonna deal with it. It's a little bit too hard to go into. It's gonna be a bit painful and I don't really want to. So let's just leave that be and let's deal with the 90%. It's not how Jesus works. He deals with 100%. That's what he wants, 100%. We'll never experience what he has for us if we don't have complete surrender. So live for him above all. John 2 verse 17, may zeal for my house consume me or may zeal for his house consume me. It's my prayer for each of you today. That each day you would ask Jesus, you'd ask your spouse, you'd ask a trusted friend, you'd genuinely get before Jesus and you say, God, is there anything in me that isn't surrendered to you? Is there anything in me? And if you happen to go away from here and not ask those questions, I can guarantee you that you've got an issue. (laughs) If you're too afraid to ask a friend, if you're too afraid to ask a spouse, if you're too afraid to, um, to get alongside someone who you're accountable to and ask those questions, is there anything in my life that just doesn't seem surrendered to God? Then it shows that there is something. Work on that. Right, last bit and this is quick. We've got a song to sing. Last one, love the lost. If we count the cost and if we embrace the cross, it is inevitable that we will have a radical, passionate love for the lost who don't know Jesus. And this last little bit here. Um, Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It's not fit, or it's fit for the soil, not uh, or for the manure pile. Powerful, powerful little bit. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty again? It's fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out, let anyone who has ears, let it listen. Saltiness is about flavor, it's about preserving property. 
And if it loses that, it's pointless. If as Christ followers, we lose our unique identity in Christ, our radical obedience, our passionate love, our utter freedom from the cares of this world, we lose our potent effect on the society. We lose it. If we lose our saltiness, which is counting the cost and it's embracing the cross, we lose our potency in the society. But when you've counted the cost, when you've embraced the cross of Christ, it's inevitable that you will have a love for the lost that is inexplicable, a compassion, a desperate desire, a radical love to see people who don't know Jesus know this Jesus that you and I follow. And when you walk around in society, when you interact with friends, when you interact with business colleagues, you'll start to see spiritual souls. You won't just see people, but you'll see people who are either at the moment on track for heaven or on track for hell, and it will grip you, and it will grip you with a passion to say, no, they need to know Jesus. They have to know Jesus. They have to know this God that I know. Spurgeon, if sinners be damned, and I've read this out before, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. Let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. We can become so blinded by the pursuit of comfort, the pursuit of self-preservation. We can become blinded from the eternal importance of what God has called us to. We can be the soil that the seed falls on, that is the thorns. That's the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke us. We can be the rocks where it falls and we we accept the seed. Then the minute that there's trial or tribulation, we die. We need to be the soft and the fertile soil and that happens when we count the cost, we embrace the cross. And you know what happens? When you get those three, when you have those three, you will see the Holy Spirit's power working through you. You will see the gifts God gives you come in power. But if you don't have those, you won't. You'll become frustrated, you'll become annoyed, you'll become with a Christian, uh, frustrated with the Christian faith and church life. But if you get those, I can guarantee you that when you walk out into society with a great love for the lost, with a passion for Jesus and what he did on the cross, where you've counted the cost already, I can guarantee you that he will move in signs and wonders in your life like you haven't seen before. He'll give you prophetic words. He'll give you words of knowledge. He'll bring healing through your hands. He'll give you visions. He'll give you dreams. He'll do that. Why? Because your heart is right. Your heart is the same as his and it gives an avenue for his power to come. Should we stand? I want to pray and then uh, we're, we're, we're going to sing a song in a short bit. The words are going to be up there and Kev is going to pump it. And I want us to sing it together because it's talking about exactly what we've been saying today. But Lord Jesus, I ask for each one of us here and we'll be in different places. Some of us would have accepted you. Some of us would have not and we're still exploring faith. Some of us might never have counted the cost. We might have given our lives to you, but you are our savior, but you're not our Lord. You're our savior, but you're like, you're not in control, God. I'm still in control of these areas. And he wants to be Lord and savior today. 
I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would save us from wasted lives. I ask that you would wake us as a church from our slumber and as people from our slumber. I ask that you would give us for a, a passion for your name and your renown and a love for the lost that is uncontainable, that it's inexplicable, that it is given by you, Holy Spirit, that it is from you alone, that we wouldn't be able to describe it. We would, we would just sit here now going, oh my goodness, you've given me a hunger to see the lost saved that I cannot describe. Um, you have given me a, um, an ability to count the cost and I'm not worried about what the cost is because I know what you offer is better and it's greater and it's eternal, that the cross would have a bigger picture in our lives than it's ever had before, that we wouldn't get tired of it but that we would embrace it, Holy Spirit. I ask that you would change us and you would transform us now. And if you are sitting here and you don't know Jesus, it's as simple as saying, after we've heard today, I believe. And he can change you in an instant. But we're gonna sing a song called Carry Your Name. I know it's a key that we can all sing and I want you to blast it out. If it means raising your hands, go for it. If it means just your eyes closed, go for it. If it means just saying the words, go for it. But if you really mean these words of the song, I know that you're not gonna be the same.